Hello, sci-fi and adventure fans. My name's Jess, and this is CamCat Unwrapped. You've been listening to Intergalactic Exterminators, Inc. by Ash Bishop, which is an Audie Awards 2023 finalist for Best Science Fiction Audiobook. Today, we have Ash Bishop with us here for a virtual interview, and I'm so excited to chat with him. Ash, thank you so much for being here. Of course. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yes, we're so excited to talk to you. Um, First, let's just get to know you a little bit better. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So, um, uh, Intergalactic Exterminators is my first uh, novel. It's not the first one I wrote. I wrote about five uh in order to get to this point but oh, wow. uh, it's the first one that's been published yeah um i do have a second novel coming out in july it's uh in a totally different genre it's a, a mystery novel mm. uh but i love both genres and uh and i sort of go wherever my creative whims take me i guess you could say uh, uh to tell you more about my background i got a master of fine arts in creative writing uh, from San Diego State University back in 2001. And so um, I uh, started writing around that time and uh, didn't complete my first novel, I want to say, until like 2005, maybe. I wasn't in a huge hurry and I was uh, becoming a father and uh, finding a teaching career and things like that. Uh, I did teach English um, for uh, 17 years. So there's uh, oh, certainly wow. some. Yeah, classic novel influence, I guess. You can't always see it, but it's there. Uh, and um, uh, right now I work for a company called Hire Heroes USA. Uh, we basically help uh, veterans who are transitioning from the military into the civilian workplace. We help them find jobs. So oh, wow. I do my writing at night and uh, help uh, the veteran community as much as I can during the day. That is so awesome. Well, well, thank you so much for sharing with us. Um, you had mentioned you'd written five other novels before you even started with this one. And I want to get to yep. those in a second. I, I do want to hear about them, but I was just very excited that you mentioned SDSU because my best friend just graduated from there. So uh, we love our Aztecs. <laughs> <laughs> A very cool school yeah, yeah. I was very happy there. yeah oh that's so great i know he i loved going and visiting him that was so so fun um yeah. but yes yeah, so you mentioned your five other books i want to talk about that as well <laughs> are those also kind of in the sci-fi kind of in the mystery genre or are those completely different from anything else you've written or had published so two of them are in the mystery genre of uh, the other um i'm sorry three of them mystery genre the other two sci-fi but you know, I had a thing where I was really convinced I was going to be unique and write uh, things that appealed to my sensibilities and not necessarily the marketplace. And that's part of the reason it took me five books to get there. Even <laughs> Intergalactic Exterminators, uh, you probably noticed, is not um, standard. You know, it's not sure. uh, according to kind of the um, uh, boilerplate of science fiction, uh, the yeah. science fiction genre. In fact, some reviews I get are like, this is not science fiction. <laughs> I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm trying. Uh, <laughs> but I have this sort of tendency to go, I don't want to say against the grain, but certainly go my own way. And um, that doesn't always work when you're trying to create a commercial novel because uh, um, a lot of sort of publishing houses want to take easier bets on something that's more like something else. 
Uh, and so I'm very pleased that my novel's uh, winning a few awards um, because I think that it's paying off. You know, I think some folks in the community are happy for something fresh and unique and unusual. Um, uh, it's the only thing I can write. So in that subject, my first novel <laughs> was really off the rails. It was about <laughs> a, uh, <laughs> it was about a guy who was a um, uh, Wall Street uh, investment banker on the top of the world, rich, and he gets murdered. He's into some sort of shady business and he gets murdered and he wakes up right after his murder in utero, uh, in um, a woman's stomach, basically as a baby. Oh. So he's he's um, this he has all his old memories. So he's still this kind of obnoxious, uh, <laughs> cocky invest, investment banker. Uh, but he's a baby now, you know, he's born and then he's raised and he's going through all these sort of humiliations of, of being a baby. And he doesn't, he didn't know that he was, he didn't know who killed him. You know, he was killed, but he didn't know who did it. And so he has to solve his own murder as a baby. So That's it's incredible. totally ridiculous. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And uh, I actually wrote it before Family Guy came out. So when Family Guy came out and you have Stewie, you know, this sort of alien baby, I was like, ah, oh, they beat me to it. Uh, but they're still beating me to it. I don't think the book will ever see the light of day. It's, uh, one agent put it best. She said, I really love it, but I don't know where it would fit on shelves. Mm. And she's right. I mean, what genre is the, you know, baby solves his own murder. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know what category that falls under. That's so awesome. It yeah. kind of reminds me of what was that? Was it a Pixar Disney movie with the baby that did all the, well, always wear the suits and, uh, boss baby. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> It gives me that kind of sense. That's so yeah, funny. Yeah, it was a little more serious than that. Sure. And also just as, just as ridiculous. Right. Well, I, I like the idea that it's kind of got these reincarnation themes as well. That's so interesting and, and must have been really fun for you to play with. Yeah, I think we I think we all have this fantasy where, you know, we can start over again young, but with all of our lessons we've learned and all our memories and all our experiences. Sure. You know, we do everything so so differently. But what we forget is that being a baby sucks. <laughs> you know, like uh, you, <laughs> you have no power over anything. No ability um, to speak. You can't, yeah, can't move right. your body. <laughs> <laughs> right. No control. Uh -huh. I mean, he, he grows up, you know, into like a toddler, but it's still humiliating for a guy that's used to being, you know, on the top of the world. Sure. And so, a, a functioning adult for Alex's purposes. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. Um, so anyway, it was kind of playing with a lot of silly concepts, uh, um, and it was really fun to write, but, you know, ultimately I had to become like a little more commercial savvy to, to get published. Sure. Well, I mean, I think it's so interesting that you talk about, uh, feeling like you kind of went against the grain here. Cause I thought that to some, you know, I, I could see how it did, did follow some traditional things. But I what I thought was so fun about Intergalactic Exterminators was that you could tell that it was different from a lot of other things that are kind of in the science fiction genre. And it was very, very fun to read. I think I mentioned to you over email, but now our listeners will know as well that um, this was one of the first books I got to really be a part of the publishing process a little bit more when I joined the CamCat team. It was so fun. So it was a, one of the first novels that I really fully read through when I joined the team because it was, I want to say, maybe May or March of uh, last year that we were getting everything kind of ready to get going to press. And I just really 
figured out that this was where I wanted to stay. And it was just so such a great introduction to officially being a member <laughs> of the team. So that was a lot of fun for me to kind of step my foot into CamCat stuff. Um, but cool. speaking of science fiction and things that you were kind of circling but trying to not be exactly like everything else you see what is your connection to science the science fiction genre so i like all genres i, I had an old uh, uh teacher that called me a student of the world and he mm. really recognized that i just like everything you know i read a lot of uh, manga i read a lot of um, uh, american comic books i read a lot of european comic books i read a lot of um, mystery novels uh everything you know, like literally anything I can get my hands on that appeals to me. And part of what I'm kind of looking for is something that I don't recognize, something that I'm not familiar with. Mm -hmm. And so um, when I uh, when I talked about going against the grain, um, part of that is because I consume so much storytelling, so many different aspect types of storytelling that I start to kind of recognize how things are going to go, you know. Oh, sure. I know how this is going to end. You know, I know what's going to happen next. Oh, that guy's the killer, you know. And uh, so I'm always looking for something that's kind of new and interesting and is going to actually surprise me. Um, and I think sci-fi is probably the best at that. For one thing, it it sticks with like some very familiar tropes, some stuff that you just have in every book and uh, uh, you love it. It's comfortable. You know, it's comfort food. Um, at the same time, there's like a, a real sort of, I don't want to say nihilistic, but certainly adult element to the science fiction genre uh, when it's good, I think, where everything is kind of uh, sad <laughs> and uh, um, uh, human life is worth a little bit less maybe than it would be in other genres, maybe not than mystery genres, but, but certainly say fantasy or something like that. People are replaceable and there's a lot of um, machines sort of doing the job of mankind and and a lot of our fears as society are playing out you know our fears of the future are playing out in our imaginations in science fiction sure. so what I love about it is you've got this comfortable fun familiar stuff blended with these really heavy uh, um, serious issues and you'll see that in intergalactic exterminators I mean it's a goofy novel uh, a lot <laughs> of silly stuff but you know, not being able to afford your father's medical bills um, uh, because, you know, the capitalist society is, doesn't run things that way. That's terrible. Right. <laughs> and I wanted to find a genre that could sort of allow the silliness and the playfulness and the fun at the same time as allow the emotional beats to really resonate and uh, uh, matter to the reader. Sure. Well, and like you'd said before, if you want to be surprised by the book that you're writing or reading, sci-fi is a really great genre for that too, because yes, it can hit the emotional notes, it can hit the silliness, but also I think to some extent in a similar way to like fantasy, uh, you're getting to kind of bend the rules of our current reality. Um, so what isn't surprising about that? <laughs> and how far can you <laughs> bend them where it's still a believable ending, which I think in this case, it was so within the world that you created that everything tied yeah. up the way that it did. So it was, yeah. again, yeah. just a really fun thing. And, and it had those elements of surprise too. So it was very, very right. fun read. Um, would well, you, you say, yeah, a, oh, sorry. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 go for it. I was just going to say there's a science fiction novel that I love by Philip K. Dick called Dr. Blood Money. 
And the first like third of the book, it's just about this um, uh, uh, salesman. He's selling uh, stereo equipment and he's got just sort of normal problems in his life. You know, he doesn't like his boss or he's, you know, he has trouble sort of dealing with customers. And then there's this nuclear event and the whole rest of the book is about him surviving the new, the new reality, you know, post-apocalyptic. And uh, I guess you could, you could probably see the influence of that in my book a little bit where you've got this character living this very normal life. And then he makes this sci-fi discovery that kind of creams him off course into a, a larger world, not totally separating him from the smaller world that he came from either though. Sure. Well, that actually is a perfect segue to what I was going to ask, which is um, in what way do you feel or do you feel like maybe there are books that you've read or things that you've experienced or people that you've met who've in, who influenced your book? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, uh, like I said, I consume a ton of literature and, and actually just a ton of everything. Um, when I'm writing dialogue, I have to like consciously not hit the same dialogue beats as the princess bride i've seen the princess bride so many times you know it's like here comes you know uh, uh, the dread pirate roberts you know uh you have to kind of you have to kind of realize how much of your own brain is a is a sponge of, of so many different things so i wouldn't like say uh there's one thing that leads to it i really really love the humor of don delillo i love his dry humor um, I really love the the way Philip K. Dick takes the everyman and turns him into not quite a hero, but at least a protagonist. You know, sure. Um, I love uh, uh, the the sort of spectacle of of uh, uh, manga, uh, sci-fi manga. Um, so yeah, that all blends in. You know, and and that's kind of like that's the postmodern world we're living in, where we are exposed to so many different types of literature. It's not like I'm just literature and entertainment. It's not like I'm just picking up, um, you know, one instrument. I'm picking sure. up all the instruments and are at least enjoying the music of all the instruments. Yeah. Uh, as far as people goes, um, uh, my wife is definitely there in the book. Uh, uh, Nina loves romance novels. My wife reads them all the time. Hopefully she won't hate me for that, uh, <laughs> but uh, for, for saying that on camera. Uh, but, uh, you know, those book titles that are in there, the romance book titles, those are in our house. I found them and picked them up and uh, put them in the book. So um, there is a, a, a little bit of that in the characters. Everybody I meet is, I guess you could say, fair game. Sure. Um, I was so curious just because you'd mentioned earlier about uh, teaching for 17 years, which is so, so cool. Um, did you feel like the things that you were teaching about were in line with the things that you were interested in as well? Well, there's definitely like what I loved about teaching literature was the subtext in the books. You know, you can run into a book and read it on one level and just enjoy the plot and enjoy sort of wondering what the character is going to do next. But as you kind of start to study it, and I don't know if this is always intentional by the author or not, but as you start to study it and read it over and over again, you start to see these layers of, of meaning, you know, in these patterns that just uh, start to resurface. And my favorite authors can can do that really well. You know, it seems like they're doing it on purpose. Uh, they're they're putting in all these meanings. Uh, I can't tell you when you read uh, Macbeth a hundred times. I can't tell you how you start to see Shakespeare working in uh, the the use of split personalities and double personalities over and over again. 
So I did try and do that in my book. I tried to, um, there are moments, you know, like there's a, a scene, oh, I didn't, I wasn't, I wasn't going to do any spoilers, but <laughs> there's a scene when uh, Russ is on the roof uh, building, uh, repairing the roof of the bookstore. And he's talking to a man who's pretty heavily weighed down by responsibility. And he, and the man envies Russ and he says, Hey, you know, we're happy that you're out there having fun still while the rest of us sort of labor under all these heavy responsibilities. But Russ realizes in that moment, like that may not be the best life, you know, like, yes, he, he can, um, escape responsibility, but he can't make any true strong connections, uh, because when he does, he has to start taking care of those people. Mm -hmm. And that, that layer of Russ growing up, I guess you could say runs through the novel in really like sort of subtle ways. Um, and you don't have to see them. In fact, no one's mentioned it in any of my reviews. <laughs> so maybe nobody's seeing it. Uh, but I wanted to put it there because that's what I saw the great authors doing, you know, was weaving their kind of magical subtext into the back, into the bottom. So people that are reading really closely uh, will see something richer than they saw the first time around. Sure. I love that because I was just thinking, I, this is actually something I think about quite often. So I really appreciate that you brought up uh, how much intention goes into those little subtextual things that we see as readers later on. You know, we have all of these books that we learn about in school that we read over and over again. We've The Catcher in the Rye and all of those kinds of, you know, Macbeth, you use, it as, use as an example. And um, sure. those are books that we read over and over again in school and and we are taught to kind of dissect and analyze those things but to what extent was it really intentional for the author <laughs> to put those things in and it's something I think about all the time too so I love that you brought it up and I really appreciate that you were intentional about the things that you put in to your book and maybe sure. someday when intergalactic exterminators <laughs> is in English classes across the nation. Um, Coming soon. Coming yeah. Soon. <laughs> People will be able to pick that apart. And maybe it's just because um, the book has only been out for less than a year, less than a year. Right. That, right. Um, that maybe as people read it over and over again and become more and more uh, entrenched in it, they'll start to see the little things that you've planted or even things yeah, that you I mean didn't. Uh, and I'm right, so right. curious what that experience will be for you when we get there. Maybe by the time I get to interview you for the horoscope writer, you'll have some some new information oh you can share. <laughs> the horoscope writer is even more full of, of that. You know, like I, I took a theme. Well, we'll talk about that when the horoscope writer comes around. <laughs> well, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm so excited. I'm, I'm really hoping it. people see that. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, this is a, another great segue into I'm so curious what your writing process was like with going into it with such intention, or at least coming out of it, having put this intention into it. Uh, what was that like? Did you feel like you planned a lot going into things or did you just feel things coming to you in the moment? No. So um, it's not part of the planning. Certainly I, I've tried to plan really hard. Like I bought um, a couple books on planning. I bought the, you know, save the cat, which all the other writers are <laughs> reading. Um, and I was like, okay, this time I'm going to plan and save myself a lot of trouble because when you don't plan, you end up erasing a lot. You know, you, you really, you kind of write yourself into a corner and you think, oh wait, this isn't going to work. And you got to go backtrack. Sure. And it just takes a lot longer. Yeah. But the problem is I find that when I'm doing something 
spontaneously. Well, it's not completely spontaneous. The, this, the structure is you create fully developed characters. You give each one of them a want, something that they hope to achieve. You put an obstacle in the way of the want. And then you let them, and then what I do is I let them go. I let them try and work their way around that obstacle according to their own devices. And sometimes the characters surprise you. They do things you didn't think they were going to do. And uh, sometimes uh, your your whole map, your whole plan just disappears in a single moment. Sometimes new characters appear that you didn't expect. Um, I didn't realize that Applebum was going to be such a big part of the story. <laughs> he just kind of like horned his way in and then took over, you know, um, and even at one point in the novel declares, I am the main character of this novel, you know, because uh, he's actually on the heroic journey. He's on the um, the sort of Joseph Campbell heroic journey. So anyway, um, I find that there's a lot of rich vitality that comes from not planning. Mm -hmm. If you plan, you already know what's happening in the chapter and you lose kind of the excitement of discover of discovery as your characters do what they think is best sure um, now i don't ever violate the characters uh personalities i think that's the great betrayal you can you can do to a reader and so they have to stay true to themselves but what they do is untethered they can go and figure it out on their own now what ends up happening is you have you have to write a lot more words because <laughs> you know sometimes it just doesn't work and you gotta you've got to scrap it and go back but I don't want to ever lose the excitement, I think, that comes on the page from me being excited as the writer, not fully knowing what's going to happen. Sure. Um, now, as far as the themes go, that's true. That's, it's the same kind of governing rule as the uh, characters. You, once you establish your theme, you stick to it, you know, and, and you realize like, oh, this will work with that. Oh, this will this will promote and and encourage and uh, sort of build out that idea. Um, and so the theme becomes, in a way, another character that you're um, allowing time for. Uh, it, it needs its space to grow and develop and, and express itself just the same way as the characters do. Sure, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I love how you mentioned that you feel like the characters kind of, or like different parts of the storyline kind of reveal themselves to you and surprise you. Uh, I'm wondering, how does that work for you? Do you see it like a movie or is it just as you're writing it, you're like, whoa, I didn't realize that was what was going to come <laughs> onto the page. How does that work? I don't know. It's like a trance, honestly, because if, if there's two reasons I describe it as a trance. One um when i'm drawn out of it like if a, a one of my kids comes into the room or my wife you know wants my attention or something it's shocking you know like it's shocking to be back in the real world uh to be sort of pulled out of that and i apologize to my family like for for uh going into those lucid dreams uh, for lack of a better word uh because it is sort of a surprise to be back in reality and they're they've always been there so they're like what are you doing uh why are you mad you know <laughs> uh and that's because i was <laughs> I was i was fighting you know starfleet a minute right. ago. um uh and so yeah it is uh a little bit like a trance and the other reason i would describe it as that is because when i go back and reread my work sometimes i don't recognize it like i i'm sort of laughing at the jokes and and uh seeing moments that i didn't i didn't fully remember happening so um I don't know how to describe it without sounding like a space cadet, but 
Um, like you're uh, entranced. It definitely is. <laughs> yeah. It, I have, I think I'm pretty sure I have a, a pretty significant amount of attention deficit disorder. And so <laughs> when I, you know how that works, like you can't concentrate on things that don't interest you, but when something interests you, you like hyper-focus. Yeah. Hyper-focus. And I, and I think I've got that. And, and I think when I'm writing, I'm sort of purposely wading into that neurological quirk. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense that you kind of hyper-focus on something and then get so emotionally invested. And I feel like we feel that as readers too, where we get more emotionally invested in things when you get more emotionally invested in things as a writer and you saying that you would go to your family like, ah, I'm so angry. And then being like, why (laughs) just, I feel like you can feel that as a reader to some extent, like obviously not that moment that you experienced while you were writing, but how much passion really goes into it. Um, which is, yeah, it's it's the same experience as reading really. It's just, for me, at least, I'm reading uh, a book that's exactly tailored to my tastes because I'm <laughs> writing it, you know. Sure. Uh, and so, in a way, it's like the best book I've ever read because it's perfect for me. You uh-huh. know? I, um, and so, anyway, I get even more invested than I would in a regular book. But yeah, otherwise, absolutely, same, same as reading. Sure. Well, okay, that is great because as far as investment goes, I'm so curious. Do you find it harder to write scenes that you are feeling really passionate about in the moment, or is it? Or what? What would be the hardest scenes for you to write? No, the the hardest scenes are definitely the transitional scenes, um, where you're sort of moving from one main event to set up for the next one. Sure. Um, once once the ball starts rolling you know, you can keep writing and all of a sudden you woke, woke up and you're 6,000 words further along than you were before. Sure. But, uh, the moving from, you know, one big moment to the, uh, what, what's it called? The falling action where, where things are kind of decompressing a little bit. Uh, that's, those are the hardest scenes to write because, um, I don't know, I mean, like excited for the next big moment. And so I want to get there, but obviously you can't just keep hitting your reader with, excitement over and over again because it has no value you know you have to have the quiet scenes you have to have the um the emotional sort of uh what's the right word the emotional reckoning uh Mm -hmm. from the action uh so anyway i think that those are probably the hardest scenes are the quieter scenes when you get really excited about a certain moment and then you've got to kind of shift gears sure you know actually you're not the first person to say that those are a little bit harder to write just because it's you are so excited about the big moment you know that's coming, but you can't just blow brush past it. You've got to 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 keep going, uh, and right, and right. really yeah. let people sink into okay. Here is how we're getting from point A to point B. <laughs> uh, that that's right. All of that about yeah, it being about the journey. <laughs> yep, yep. Kids' books don't really take the time off. You know, I was reading How to Train Your Dragon to my son. You know, back when he was young enough to to be read to. And it was just like each chapter was this thrilling experience over and over again. Mm. And he loved it. And so did I with my ADD. <laughs> uh, but ultimately, like as an adult, you know, you you want those quieter moments where you start to sort of love the characters uh, because they're not under stress. They're they're free to sort of relax a little bit. Sure. Anyway. Sure. Well, yeah. just talking about how exciting it is to do the kind of bigger moments and how 
maybe it's a little bit harder to do those transitioning scenes that are a little slower. Do you feel like you have to do a lot of research to get into those kind of transitioning where, okay, I'm really emotionally investing in this now or completely on the topic of research, but completely separate from that. Um, <laughs> a lot of sci-fi elements here. Did you just completely create this world or do you feel like you were drawing research upon other things? Not, not too much research. Yeah. Not as much, I think, as uh, some people would want. It's, um, you know, right now in sci-fi, probably the biggest uh, kind of theme or the biggest stuff that's selling is like the Martian, you know, where sure. it's all really heavy science fiction. Um, really, uh, heavy sorry, science. really heavy science. <laughs> yeah. yeah. A little bit of fiction, you know. And uh, my book is definitely weighted the other direction. It's heavy fiction little bit of science sure um i did i i the um what is it the what's his name the the web uh, telescope uh, i can't remember the first name oh. uh but the um <laughs> it's not james the, yeah james Webb. okay i was I like i know so, what yeah. I, I know what you're talking about yeah. i almost said uh davis webb but that's the quarterback's coach of the broncos uh, <laughs> speaking of <laughs> speaking of you know liking different things um uh, the James Webb Telescope. I studied those pictures for a while because, I mean, that's when you you know when you're my age, you grow up watching Star Wars. You think that the universe looks like Star Wars, you know? Sure. Uh, uh, and and those pictures are just so beautiful. So every time I try and describe the universe, my characters who are from Wyoming, you know, are seeing it with eyes that are just so fresh and so amazed because hopefully for them. It looks like, you know, what that telescope is seeing out there. Um, uh, otherwise, though, the research was probably more about uh, the the Earth world. You know, mm. um, uh, I put my story in what's called Evanstown, Wyoming, but it's really a ripped off version of Evanston, Wyoming, which is uh, just sort of east of uh, uh, right on the border of uh, Wyoming, Utah. And uh, I went there and uh, and explored the town a little bit. I'd been there in uh, the late 90s and I'd loved it. I'd fallen in love with it. I had went to a rodeo there and did like a pig chase and all this stuff. Um, and the San Diego boy in me was just so enchanted by this sort of cool, different world that was out there. Um, and so I went back and, and took another look and that's kind of where Evan's town comes from. Um, but as far as like scientific research, not as much. Uh, people keep saying, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to pile on myself, but some reviews keep saying the science just doesn't work. <laughs> and I'm like, it's not just science. It's science fiction. You know? sure, yeah. like, let's have fun with it. <laughs> you know, let's have fun with it. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, uh, not get totally bogged down in the science if it's going to stand in the way of. Uh, what I mentioned, what I'm more interested in, which is the human dynamics and the and the adventure. Sure. Well, I love that you actually went to Evanston for one. I just think that is. <laughs> I always think it's so fun when authors actually go to the places that they're either writing about or basing some fictional <laughs> town on. Um, it's that's right. always just fun for me to know for myself, yeah, like my little. That's part of being a writer. Yeah, yeah. having an excuse to do that kind of stuff. Yeah, but I also, yeah. I really appreciate what you said about 
feeling like you were trying to create a world that they would be able to see through that telescope, through the James Webb telescope, because yeah. I mean, it's, it's like in how you said about Star Wars is kind of how we picture what space travel would look like, but that was all fictional as well. And, and oh, yeah. especially for like the science that we had, the technology we had at the time, there was no, any sort of conception of what that would look like. So you right. kind of get to decide the science. They decided the science too. So <laughs> I think that it is just really cool because nobody really knows what it all is like out there. We, you as the author get to kind of choose what you want it to look like. That's and, right. and I That's think right. that, yeah, yeah. And I think that it's really, I, I really loved the way that you described it in the book. I really thought, you know, again, if you're laying into the fiction of it more, which why wouldn't you? It's all fiction really anyway. Um, <laughs> I, I feel like you just did that really well. So it was lending to my experience, I felt like. And, you know, <laughs> reviewers, they, they'll they say their, their stuff. But at <laughs> right, the end right, of the right. day, there's a reason that, you know, I know Cam Cat loved the book. And, and there's a reason that we picked right. it up. So. We obviously right, see right. it to the same extent that you do. I mean, maybe not, you know, because you're the one who wrote it, but we see the vision for sure. <laughs> sure. And fans of the book do too, like myself. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I did. I, I, all of which is to say, I didn't feel in any way like this alternate version of science detracted from a reading experience. <laughs> And it didn't feel that yeah. different anyway, so <laughs> it was still very, very That's fun. Yeah. yeah, I think I think also you give reviewers a little pleasure when they can feel slightly smarter than you, you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I'm just doing <laughs> doing them a favor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we'll just debunk it all here on CamCon. <laughs> Throw it all away. <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, to shift gears a little bit, um, everybody who is listening to our podcast has listened to at least some episodes of the audiobook, um, whether they were able to catch the whole thing before we took it down so that they would buy the audiobook, or if they um, are just listening to the first two episodes that we have remaining up there. What was your first experience like listening to the audiobook and choosing the uh, voice actor? Because I know that <laughs> the authors are involved to some extent in that process as well. Uh, what was that all like for you, hearing your words read back to you? So that was honestly, honestly, my favorite part of the production of the whole book. Oh, uh, when I first got those, you know, I think it was five male authors, five female authors, each reading the book. In different ways it was so thrilling to not just hear my own words read out loud but also to uh hear the way different artists were interpreting it sure so yeah uh the reader scott brick he read it more serious than i wrote it you know in fact when i was um when i was hearing it the first time i was like huh i should have hit that i should have hit that dialogue less um strongly because mm. i think he's actually reading it correctly, but it read differently in my head, you know? Uh, and so I was um, sort of, there's, it's twofold. First, you're thrilled because this talented artist is interpreting your work and making it better. But second, you're sort of shocked because it's different than you've pictured it. And up until now, it's been totally your uh, baby. Like you've owned it um, sure, uh, exclusively. Yeah. 
And so I, I think of, um, and I'm not comparing these two, but I think of how Ken Kesey got so mad at Milos Forman's version of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Mm. And it's like, that's one of the best movies of all time. <laughs> and he was mad because he didn't feel like it was true to his vision. Sure. And I get it. I get his, um, his response because it's so personal. You know, you have such a personal idea of what you were doing, uh, what you were trying to do. Now, what's really neat about um, the readers, both of them, is they got the humor. And that was the single thing that mattered to me the most when I was sort of helping pick out the reader. If they didn't understand when I was joking, you know, it would <laughs> right. destroy it all. And, I, and part of my humor is so um, sort of like almost British, like um, what's the right word? A little Straight, dry. You know, yeah. Uh, dry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My humor is so dry yeah. that some people don't know I'm joking. You know, sure. um, and, and so uh, thankfully, not only did both readers, uh, Susan Freeman and Scott Brick, get the humor, but I think they kind of nailed it. So I appreciate that. Oh, that's so awesome. I imagine it must be so interesting to really get to see that through uh, a different perspective and to hear it read back to you and think, oh, I didn't think of it this way as I was writing it, but I love this take on it because, I mean, I just feel like consuming your own book as though you were a reader. Like (laughs) there isn't really another way to do that possibly and other than this medium where for the first time you're not the one telling the story. It's, I mean, (laughs) you are, but in a very different sense um, where these narrators are the ones who are really getting to to tell you how they hear it in their heads so i imagine that just is a really cool experience to hear your own words read back to you but for them to have the twist of how your readers are likely reading your words yeah it's both like scary and thrilling sure and i'm sure you know as you said the parts where you were like oh they got my dry humor here it was probably really reassuring for you too. Is like, okay, if they can get it, the readers are going to get it. <laughs> That's right. That's, That's right. so Yeah, great. otherwise they're going to be really angry. <laughs> they don't get it. <laughs> Just the jokes flying over their heads, not making any <laughs> <Right>. sense. <laughs> right. That's so great. Well, on the topic of other forms of media that you can use to consume your book, um, we love to ask this question at CamCat Unwrapped. Um, if your book were to be made into a movie, do you have any ideas of who you might cast? <laughs> Absolutely. So I, uh, I was asked this question once before online. Okay. And uh, so I already had I already had a chance to consider the answer. Perfect. Um, so I really like uh, Joe. I think it's Joe Keery or Carrie from okay. Stranger Things. He plays uh, Steve Harrington. Yeah. Uh, he has like the perfect balance of uh, like uh, confident, false confidence, um, <laughs> but, you know, which is also called buffoonery uh, and charisma, you know. Mm. Um, and so that I don't know if maybe maybe it's because I grew up watching all these great falsely confident heroes of the 80s. Um, and I and I kind of uh, carry that into my book uh, and they're doing the same thing with Stranger Things, maybe. Um, or maybe he just happens to, to hit the vibe just right. But. Uh, definitely him for Russ, uh, right age as well, I think. Um, uh, I really like, so my actress is, or my actress, my female character is, uh, you know, she's half Iraqi, half Canadian. 
which is, is an Nina. unusual, yeah, Nina, an unusual combination. Um, and uh, there's not too many actresses like that, you know, in uh, Hollywood. Um, uh, but I do really like Aaliyah Shawkat, uh, the actress from, um, what's she been in lately? She was in The Old Man, that Jeff Bridges uh, show. Um, she's in um, a, a, a hilarious show called Search Party. She was in Arrested Development when she was younger. She's a little bit older than Nina. I think she's like eight years older, but uh, I, I, the look is right in the in the comedy. The humor is right. Sure. I am half Middle Eastern. And so seeing that huh. half Middle or the Middle Eastern influences and the fact that you would choose someone who is half Iraqi is very, very cool. Uh, and I feel like, again, like you said, something you don't really see super often. So very, very fun. Uh, I, I'm not Iraqi, yeah. but I still appreciate the representation <laughs> so that's very yeah, cool yeah. yeah i wanted you know even though it's in wyoming i wanted everybody not to be white <laughs> you know and, i love and, that uh, yeah <laughs> yeah that's a great and joe carey he's also or i i'm yeah i also don't know if it's carrie or carrie but he is also very <laughs> funny and i can absolutely see him fitting that perfectly now that you say it that is so so right. funny so I know yeah. that you had mentioned to me, I don't know if this is public knowledge and if it's not, we can totally cut it out, um, but that you're currently <laughs> working on a sequel for uh, Intergalactic Exterminators, Inc. Yeah, yeah. It's called uh, Constellation Reclamation Corporation. Incredible. I'm going for the <laughs> really, really long sort of sonorous sounding titles. Um, uh, but yeah, basically... Uh, two of the characters from Intergalactic Exterminators, two of the minor characters, they start a uh, trash remediation uh, company ah. and they kind of um, get in, in trash remediation in space, you know, is basically space salvage. Um, and they get uh, a couple of the characters from Intergalactic, including Russ, to come work for them. And um, uh, lots of kind of exciting things happen. There is uh, a, a pretty strong connection to intergalactic exterminators. I'm actually a little concerned that I'm weaving them together too closely, you know, okay. because I want each one to be able to be consumed, you know, independently. Sure. Uh, but um, but yeah, I've been working on it. I've I've got uh, a little bit less than sixty thousand words, and I'm targeting eighty thousand. So oh, uh, that one's a hundred thousand. So I'm going to go a little shorter, but um, but I'm targeting eighty thousand, and uh, and hopefully I'll be done you know, sometime soon. Oh, that is so exciting. And I know that just sequels are always so fun when you get to see, even if it is in a smaller setting, um, the characters that you loved from the original book being brought up again later and kind of seeing the where are they now situation. So that's always so <laughs> sure. fun. So that's super exciting. And then the horoscope writer now is kind of the time towards the end of the interview is when I like to ask, more about the other books that you have coming out or in general. So I would love to hear more about sure. this mystery. Sure. So the horoscope writer is about um, a young man and this one's in San Diego. So I'm staying a little oh, closer to home. <laughs> uh, it's about a young, <laughs> a young man that um, uh, gets worse. He's a, he's an Olympic athlete, but the Olympics are over. He didn't win the gold and he's mm -hmm. kind of floating around uh, trying to figure out what to do with his life now. And he manages to get a very small job with a local paper that's barely surviving. And he's writing for, he's writing their horoscopes. 
and the first night of his work when he's about to sit down and write his first set of horoscopes he gets on the uh newspaper email he gets a series of predictions uh that are really highly specific and most of them pertain to crimes mm. and there's a, a warning at the bottom print these in the paper and one will come true or ignore them and they will all come true. Oh. And he basically, um, yeah, he basically ignores them. And then the next day starts to see these crimes unfolding throughout the city. And he can't figure out, at least initially, whether he's doing that in his own mind. You know how horoscopes work. They sort of implant this idea. Sure. And then we, we carry our own expectations of that idea coming true into the world. And so he can't tell if if he's really seeing these things happening or if um, he's just kind of forcing the narrative because of the, because the idea has already been implanted in his head. Um, but like the placebo one way or the effect. other. Yeah, the placebo effect or uh, what's it called? The observer, expecta- observer sure. expectancy response, something like that. Self-fulfilling um, prophecy, all of that. <laughs> yeah, all those. Basically, how we delude ourselves. Yeah. The reason horoscopes are so darn effective. Um, uh, he starts to kind of um, see that, and he and he begins to be curious about who this strange person is that's sending him these predictions, and he starts sure. to investigate. Um, and so that's the that's where the mystery goes. Oh, that's so awesome. I'm so excited to read that because I know we're going to have you back on the podcast when that comes out as well. So <laughs> that's very exciting, and that's yeah. coming this July, right? That's right. Uh, July 18th, I think. Oh, so exciting. Well, this that's so great. And just here you are having all of these different types of books that you've written. I'm so curious what kind of books you're reading right now or what genre book you're reading right now. Sure, sure. Uh, so because I was wading back into the mystery game, I, was, I returned to some of my favorite mystery authors. And uh, John D. McDonald is probably my favorite of all time. He wrote from, I want to say, like 68 to 85. Um, and he uh, has a main character named Travis McGee. And McGee kind of cruises around Florida and solves crimes and is generally awesome. Uh, so I'm, re- <laughs> I, he's, I'm reading one called The Dreadful Lemon Sky, uh, which is great. And um, uh, I'm friends with uh, uh, Jonathan Mayberry, the... Um, uh, author and so he released this enormous tome called Kagan the Damned. It's a, uh, a fantasy uh, about uh, basically a Conan the Barbarian type character, and uh, I'm reading that. And also because my the horoscope writer is appearing, not just because, <laughs> but the horoscope writer is appearing in Marcy McCreary's uh, The Murder of Madison Garcia. I've been reading that, and uh, that's fantastic. It's another yeah. Camcat book, uh, mm-hmm. and I've had a lot of fun reading that. I'm actually very pleased that my book has a chapter at the end of such a great book. Yeah, that's so great. Oh, well, that's so cool. I really appreciate that you can keep so many different books that you're reading and kind of uh, (laughs) juggling them. I feel like I'm very Uh, much a one book at a time person because I just get so invested in it. But I always appreciate someone who can do multiple at once and still feel like you're oh, getting totally everything out on, of it that you on want. my mood sure yeah yeah it depends on my mood and, and you know what i feel like you know I'm, I'm watching a bunch of tv shows too so it's kind of the same thing just uh whatever i feel like that's totally yeah. fair actually now that you say <laughs> that i do the same thing with tv shows so i uh <laughs> i i shouldn't even be one to talk <laughs> but sure. 
I really appreciated getting to chat with you. And thank you so much for coming on. This has been so much fun. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. It's really been a pleasure. And uh, I'm excited about what CamCat's doing with this podcast uh, release. And thank hopefully it allows uh, new people to discover my unusual novel. Yes. Well, I had so much fun reading it. And I'm sure our audience is going to love it as well. Um, before we <laughs> sign off officially, where can our audience find you? Uh, sure. So um, I have a website. It's ash-bishop.com. Um, I'm on uh, Facebook. I uh, just have an author page. You can just search up Ash Bishop. Uh, and I'm on uh, Twitter, uh, ash, uh, at Ash L. Bishop. My middle initial is L. And somebody had already claimed uh, Ash Bishop. So I, <laughs> I stuck the L in there. Perfect. Well, great. Well, thank you so much for coming on with us. Of course. Yeah, thank you for having me. And to the listeners at home, you can find Intergalactic Exterminators, Inc. and very soon the Horoscope Writer in ebook, audiobook, and print formats on our website, camcatbooks.com or wherever books are sold. You can find CamCat Unwrapped on all major podcasting platforms or watch us on our YouTube channel. And make sure you follow us on social media at CamCatBooks. Thank you all so much for tuning in and unwrapping another one of our books to live in with me. My name's Jess, and I'll see y'all next time here on CamCat Unwrapped. <laughs>